Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I know what it's like to hear those three words. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. One day I said to my wife, Linda, that I hated the fact that I had cancer. And she looked at me and said, no, sweetheart, we have cancer. This transformed the way I looked at cancer because every one of us is touched by it in some way. Patients and survivors, caregivers and medical professionals, and we all have a story to tell. On each episode, we share those stories to inform, inspire, and provide hope to all of us who are affected by cancer to remind us that we are not alone. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 171 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. Wow, we got a lot going on today. But first, I want to let you know I'm excited. I got my first COVID vaccine. This is, should be the part where I insert a backtrack of a round of applause in the background. Seriously, folks, I've been looking forward to this day. Actually, my wife, Linda, and I got ours a, a day apart and the main reason why I'm so excited is I'm going to get to finally see my grandson, who I only saw real briefly the week after he was born. Linda has not even met him yet. Our son, Elliot, and our daughter-in-law, Molly, don't live too far away, just a few hours away. And my wife has not even gotten a chance to meet our grandson. So that's already on the books, already scheduled, and just so glad and just kind of a sense of relief, quite honestly, to to know that, you know, we've been vaccinated. Uh, we'll have the second one coming up here in just a few short weeks. And while we understand that it's not uh, a total return to normal, as they say, don't know if we ever will. But just, you know, having that little bit of sense of comfort to be able to go see our little guy and see my parents who are all live even closer and are in their mid eighties. And I need to check on them really just so grateful to, to have that opportunity to get the COVID vaccine. Also a lot going on with the podcast. We, in today's episode, before I get to our main guest, Joe Bullock, who we interviewed just a few months back and talked about his colon cancer survival story and the work that he's done with Trevor Maxwell in creating the Man Up to Cancer Facebook group. Joe comes back for a short segment, which we'll have the end of today's episode, talking about some exciting work he's doing to help those touched by, hard to believe I'm even saying this, childhood colon cancer. So hang on to the end of the episode and listen to my conversation with Joe Bullock on the amazing work that he's doing. We will again profile our buddy Jalen uh, as part of Campaign One at a Time, who we are supporting this month and appreciate any financial support that you might be able to offer to help Jalen's wish come true. My guest this week is Summer Watson. In 2014, Summer was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. 
Summer is a classically trained recording artist, vocalist, now crossover artist, and she recently released an EP, and her single, Unveiled, really comes from that place of survivorship and overcoming adversity. And folks, uh, you'll want to pull up Summer's single, Unveiled, and all of her other works on Spotify or wherever you get your music. If you're like, if you're like me, your jaw's going to hit the floor when you hear Summer's voice. I got so caught up in it. I went on YouTube. There's a ton of her work on YouTube. And one of the songs that has always touched my heart, and many of you know it, the song Hallelujah. And you've got to check out Summer doing that song as well. It's it's from another world. It truly is. She has the voice of an angel. And we talked a lot about her breast cancer journey, the impact that had on her work and how she views her work. And I know you're going to enjoy our conversation. So join me now for my conversation with Summer Watson. Summer, welcome to the We Have Cancer podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, when I first hit play on one of the songs from your EP, Unveiled, my jaw hit the floor. And I was like, wow. And as we were talking before I hit record, I, you know, I said, you know, I was stunned, not surprised, but just blown away by your voice and your talent. You got into music at such a young age, four years old. That's right. Did you come from a family of music? What was the attraction there? So, you know, my I'm British. First of all, thank you very much for having me, Lee. Sure. Such a pleasure. I'm British, and in England, the system tends to be you do a few piano lessons and some singing lessons and a few sports. And my parents don't come from a musical background, so they wanted to give me everything they didn't have the opportunity to have in their childhood. You know, both of them were working from the age of 14 and 16. They worked all their lives. And I guess they just thought, you know, we'd love to give you flute lessons and singing lessons and piano and lots of sports. And just this love and zest of life started very, very young and really is the key to how I live today. What was your parents' reaction as you started to achieve some level of of fame and notoriety? No, I think that it's really crucial for us to be able to learn our craft, you know, whatever it is, whether it's pottery, writing, math, science, this obsession with, you know, uh, video games or health, whatever it is, we, we have to put the hours in to really do the work, to really understand what that craft is, right? So, It really is down to a wonderful lady called Molly Townsend, who was my singing teacher at the time. And she really inspired me. And I cannot say, you know, enough times to the teachers out there that it really is down to the teachers that we interact with at a very young age as to why we do what we do, whether it's writing English 
or, you know, science or maths, or in my case, music, singing. And so my parents encouraged me all the way through school with exams and festivals. And then I decided to take a degree and I wasn't sure whether I would take a language degree or a music degree. And I ended up at the Royal College of Music. And it was really because of my parents' drive. They both are very driven human beings and both very successful in their own right, that they, you know, once college was finished, the ropes were cut and it was off 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 and out and you know make a living and make a career so with that hustle i was very keen to figure a way out how i could take all this amazing music that happened to be classical but for the masses you know not just you have to know everything about opera or you have to know you know everything about classical music and wear a tuxedo to go and experience it because that isn't what mozart and beethoven would have wanted so when i then was signed to sony record label my father wasn't quite sure what was happening <laughs> he couldn't believe it first artist from a classical background to sign a million pound deal but they've been super supportive the whole way and then you go on to have experiences like performing in front of the Duke and Duchess of York and yes. all of these incredible uh, experiences. And as I was reading your bio and I said, you know, we, you and I were destined to speak because you mentioned that two of your uh, big influences happen to be one of my favorite male and one of my female, favorite female vocalists, Sting and Annie Lennox. Yeah. How did you come to cross paths with them? So I lived in London for a while and then I moved out to um, Wiltshire, which is um, an area about an hour and a half outside of London, the countryside. And your listeners may or may not know, but that is where Sting has one of his homes. And at the time on the album, I was mid-recording and we just recorded probably about two thirds of the album at Abbey Road Studios, Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. You know, it was a dream come true. I couldn't really believe that it was real. And I was in a, a horrific train accident, Potter's Bar train accident. And it was from that moment on that I realized that life is very fragile. And my producer at the time said, you need to cover the songs, you know, Sting song, Fragile. So with that said, that's what then, you know, how that became about on the album. And we had the pleasure of working with Miles, who's the percussion player for Sting, and then Dominic Millow's bassist for Sting. And so it sort of pieced itself together and eventually then, you know, got to meet Sting a few times. And, you know, what a great guy he is. How fragile we are, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, how fragile we are. Right. And then you will learn how fragile life is in 2014 to be diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. Yeah. And that just came from a routine screening, did it not? Yeah. So I had a golden retriever for a few years, a couple of years, and, you know, puppy and snuggly, and she was, you know, the light of my life. And, you know, she used to lick me at the side. I used to hold her, um, you know, cradling her in my arms. 
And I didn't really understand why she was doing that. And I thought she was just being sweet and cute. Decided to get a routine mammogram as one does. It was my first mammogram. And I was in perfect health. I had been in perfect health my entire life. I never had had a filling, flu, never walked into a hospital. It's no history of illnesses in my family. And I really enjoy food and sport. And so to get this result, I thought I was just going to go in and out and that's it. But one thing, just my life started to unravel. Mammogram led to another mammogram, led to sort of three or four major biopsies, led to then five, six weeks to live, having to make some pretty major decisions. Yeah. And here you are over six years later. Yeah. What? <laughs> Yay, exactly. I wish I had a soundtrack with applause in the background. <laughs> but how did you go from such a dire diagnosis to us being here talking today? You know, I think now looking back on it, I'm very, very careful how I talk about it now because it would seem as if, well, yes, you know, I just took it on and it was all easy and it was great. And, and no, I mean, I really want to stress to the listeners that, you know, I went through post-traumatic stress disorder again. That all came back from the train accident to then having to have a mastectomy, having never had a surgery, you know, dealing with sort of all of the right side was black. One minute I was in perfect health and the next day I went in and had the operation and it took me probably three or four years to recover physically. Couldn't breathe, couldn't walk upstairs. And gradually, you know, when you choose not to do chemo and radiation, I didn't want to burn my vocal cords. And I really went against the Western system. I had the mastectomy because, you know, I didn't know what else to do. But from that point on, I decided to really look inward as to how on earth I, you know, had had to be in this position to have cancer in my body going out of control. And so I started to read. I started to research. I started to listen to podcasts like yours and books and television shows and documentaries. And in short, learning about Reiki, chakra work, breath work, music, you know, on another level of understanding how music is so healing and meditation and practicing Buddhism and all of these pieces gradually building one block at a time. For me, it wasn't really about eating clean or juicing or more water. I mean, I naturally, I just love that. I mean, we're so spoiled here in California with the, the farmer's markets. But for me, you know, the understanding of apparently I'm an empath. And so when you take on all of that energy, unless it's clean energy, family, friends, you know, partners, whatever it happens to be, even work colleagues, how does it make you feel before and after? And I began to assess my life and started to build the boundaries of what I wanted to accept in my life to feel great all the time. Did, did your diagnosis change your relationship with music? Oh, what an amazing question. Yes, 100%. I had trained many years. I did my 10,000 hours performed all over the world, absolutely loved what I did. But I sang 
two or three genres, you know, classically trained, little bit of jazz and film music and very light pop music, adult contemporary music, as they call it, the Stings and Adele's and so forth. And throughout my time in Los Angeles, you know, there's nothing but session singers and, and musicians here and amazing bands everywhere you turn. I mean, I'm sure there are in London too, but I wasn't exposed to that world. And I started to jam with them. And I started to find myself not having my sheet music and not being super prepared and just winging it, you know, and having, I mean, obviously I was riddled with fear, but over time, just experiencing this innate sense of joy where now I also vocal coach and I'm always telling everyone, whether they're my clients or, or anybody, it doesn't matter what level you are as a singer, right? Everybody can sing, everyone. If you can speak, you can sing because you hear tones, right? Everyone can mimic different accents and tones and things to whatever ability. Some are amazing and some not so amazing. But if you can hear, you can sing. And that vibration to be able to go on television, go on the YouTube, whatever, pull up a karaoke track or download, you know, all these numerous apps that's possible. And to be able to sing a song, it just feels great. And it doesn't matter what level you are. And I think it's crucial for all of us, cancer or not, to really heal through music. I think it's like a renaissance period for us now where, you know, obviously this past year has been horrendous and and and, and I would never say, you know, anything other. It's been very challenging for many. But what's kept me bright and perky and as my friends say, I'm like Tigger, you know, from Winnie the Pooh, always pouncing, is just get a good track on and just sing it. You know, it doesn't matter if you're sharp, you're flat, you forget the words, it doesn't matter. They didn't care about that, you know, in the clans, like the Irish clans in the pubs and the kid would play the violin and the granddad would miss a note on the keys. Like, it doesn't matter, you know. That's what I want to see people do more and more and more. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the We Have Cancer Show. My name is Brody Nicholas, and I have the honor of leading Campaign One at a Time. This month, we're sponsoring an 11-year-old cancer patient named Jalen. Jalen is from Houston, Texas, and has a passion for making people smile and laugh. He was recently diagnosed with stage four colon cancer this past September, and has had a really tough time. Between doctor's appointments and having chemo every other week, Jalen has really suffered mentally and was prescribed with antidepressants. We want to do something extra special to raise his spirits. And that's why our mission is to raise $10,000 in the month of February to send Jalen on a dream trip to Los Angeles, California. It's a city that's been on his bucket list for a while now, and we want to do everything we can to make this experience extra special for him. His doctors have approved his travel and actually recommend him and his family go enjoy some time away together. You can learn more about Jalen's campaign by visiting wehavecantorshow.com forward slash Jalen. Thank you so much for listening and let's keep spreading good together so we can make more amazing memories possible for another amazing kid. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. I find since my diagnosis almost 10 years ago that I feel more emotionally connected to music. Like the, the one song, you know, hearing you do hallelujah that I found on YouTube, it doesn't take much for the tears to start flowing that it just anymore seems to really touch my heart. Do you feel that stronger connection as well? I do. 
and I feel it you know I've always I've always been able to to feel the lyrics and other people's stories and pain to be able to relate that to you know the various chapters that I've I've gone through in my life but you know these great artists that are out there you know the Bob Dylans or um you know some of the amazing like Aretha Franklin you know the stuff that they have, had gone through in their life that's why they can deliver such a performance and i think now you know this past year writing my you know my own music i've always sung other people's music from classical and film and pop as i say but I wanted to start to express my story to be able to inspire others and when I began recording those songs this latest EP um I found that I was having this overwhelming sense of 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 sheer joy and connection that the beauty with every single ounce of a note that was there and if it wasn't doing that for me then it's not on the album <laughs> you know um and i say that for life you know that if the t-shirt you're wearing or the food you're cooking or or i don't know the 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 music collection that you have if it's not absolutely magnificent on every single level it's got to go because it has to resonate you know at such a level like you said hallelujah you know when it's when you can really sit with it and really feel and listen to the music it just ignites all the chakras and that's what it's doing and then the tears come right and it's that's why it's healing because it just all comes out is this view of life has this view of life helped you cope with you know the covid pandemic that we're going through yeah i mean with obviously a, a huge sensibility to what everybody is going through this year this this past year for me i lost my golden retriever in april 2020 mm-hmm. and she passed away and i thought to myself i thought i'd had my quota of pain and trauma i've kind of had a few lifetimes of it in my short life and this magic began to happen as our world essentially was shifting and changing and closing down. I was in the studio every single day and a lot of my artists and musician friends were doing the same and creating. And now it's all coming out, you know. So the pandemic per se, I still enjoy nature and swimming in the ocean. Obviously, I'm careful. Um, I need nature to, to refuel myself on a regular basis. But... I think because of the past six years of building the foundation of not, or at least understanding how not to fall into anxiety and to fear, and to really just have this overriding joy that, okay, the streets are quieter and it's shut down and we can't see people as easily as we could maybe, you know, in 2019. But there are other ways to connect. There are other ways to look inward and to exist in our homes rather than just trying to look at time in a very, you know, linear sense. Oh, well, I'll just watch a show. Oh, well, that'll do. Oh, well, it doesn't matter if I'm late. Well, actually it does. You know, what are you watching? What are you listening to? How are you using your time? And I think for me, it's been wonderful to have conversations with people about 
how they've come through this past year. What have they done to really seize the moment? Yeah. You talk about what are we watching. I, re- I was uh, reading up on an interview you did, and you said something else that resonated with me. You know, I used to love a really good action flick and I didn't care if things were exploding and those kinds of things. And not that I don't, but I find I don't enjoy them as much. I'd rather spend my time watching something a little more uplifting and positive. And you said the same. Yeah. You know, I used to fall into, you know, the, the, again, being an empire, I just loved the great, you know, sad, romantic stories, you know, and I'd be bawling my eyes out after an hour and a half and feel really quite awful by the end of the movie. Phenomenal movies, you know, beautifully done, amazing acting, wonderful directors, great music. But when you do that over time, you kind of think to yourself, well, you know, why, why, am, why am I doing this to myself again? Um, you know, and then you go off to bed and you feel terrible. So now it's it's just having that observance. What am I eating? What am I watching? What do I choose to listen to? How people talk to me? Do I choose to take that in or not? You know, it's it's just having a little bit of space through the practice of meditation to be able to just have space to look look and assess. And it's your life. There's only one of you in the universe. There's not two Lees, you know, there's only one. So what do you want to do with your life? There are those who, you know, really struggle, but then seem to think that they're trapped in that box. And I think it's really crucial that it's actually a blessing, you know, that us who've had cancer, why we are the warriors that we are, and we're not carrying the violins and feeling sorry for ourselves. Yes, the research needs to be done. Yes, the finances need to be raised. But there's a new breed of people who've had cancer and other horrendous, you know, life-threatening illnesses that they are so strong afterwards and they are so inspiring and authentic and they're doing great work, you know, podcasts and radio shows and singers and actors, all these different entities. And it's it's a new wave where, yes, it's tragic. What and yes, we have lost many, and and I would I have great sensibility to that, obviously, and I'm very very grateful for being here. But I really feel it's my mission, my duty, just like yourself, to talk to people to encourage them of how they can live their best life because life is not a joke you could get run over by a bus tomorrow forget cancer you know or be or be in a train accident or in a train accident you just you don't know what's going to come so if divorce comes and goes and job losses come and go or jobs come and go or or you know homes come and go yes it's challenging and yes it's not easy but how can we ride those waves a little calmer to be able to still see the joy in those chapters of our lives so you're out working in the garden, and when you're done, your hands are covered with dirt and mud, or maybe you're working on your car and your hands are covered with grease and oil when you're done. Do you clean up by just wiping them off with a dry paper towel and going on about your day? I don't think so. 
So why do we do that with our butts? Why do we clean up with a dry piece of paper? If you're being treated for cancer like I am, you know oftentimes chemotherapy increases the trips to the bathroom. And I was at my wit's end trying to find a way to get comfortable and eliminate the itching and pain associated with all those trips to the bathroom. And that's when I came across Lux Bidet. In about 15 minutes, I attached the uh, bidet to my toilet and haven't looked back and it's been some time now. And it just leaves me feeling clean and refreshed. And it's something you really should check out. You can do so by visiting wehavecancershow.com forward slash Lux. That's L-U-X-E. You should know that if you do make a purchase, that We Have Cancer Show does receive a little bit of a commission from that. But that does not in any way increase the price that you pay for the bidet itself. It just helps support the show. You have many options to choose from. I can't live without it. And I know once you get one, you won't be able to either. Again, visit wehavecancershow.com forward slash Lux. That's L-U-X-E. You know, I, I, I didn't used to think about this, but I now wonder almost 10 years and still stage four cancer myself is the reason why you're still here and the reason why I'm still here because we have this positive purpose in our life. Yeah, we've got and work to do. We, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get bleeped on the uh, podcast, but when we were first, when I was first diagnosed right after my wife and I got married eight, eight years ago, or I should say re-diagnosed, uh, we looked at each other and said, well, we can't let this get, da- get us down because we got, uh, I'll, I'll change the word, stuff. We got stuff to do. (laughs) So I wonder, you know, if having that purpose uh, makes a difference sometimes. Yeah. Um, I think it is, again, such a blessing. You know, when I was diagnosed at the beginning and talking to doctors and, you know, you talk about how you want to relate to it. You know, are you a survivor? Are you this? Are you that? You know, what is it? And none of that resonated for me. And as I began to heal physically, and as I began this deep chapter of learning of how the body and the mind works, and I still, you know, probably have only soaked up 10% as to what's out there. But you know, I really put some time in. And it and it's, it's now truly a choice to wake up in the morning and say, oh my goodness, I woke up again. This is great. Who cares about the traffic lights or the traffic or not enough gas in the car or the kids are arguing or whatever it might be? Who cares? And so what? Yes, and I'm going through a legal battle and this. And yeah, it's true. And so what? Like, th- th- we need to snap out a bit and go, wow. There are millions of people around the world not eating. Millions of people don't have a home. Millions of people who don't have any health care. I mean, we we have to find that warrior. It's within us, within ourselves. And that's what Break the Silence and Unveil, the two singles, you know, on the EP. And generally, the whole P is about that, is using the time that we have to go inward, to be quiet, to figure out who we are and how we want to be and how we want to live. Because so easily, 
Yuli could have just said, okay, well, this is second time round. I just got married. What on earth is good? This is, is this a joke? This isn't funny, you know? And you could just give up. You know, I, I had just come out of a relationship. I was six months kind of like strong, feeling good. Think I had plans for the rest of the year. And I thought, right, I'll get a mammogram. You know, everything was flowing beautifully. And I thought, what? I don't understand. Ha Stage four? What? Six weeks to live. What do you mean? What are you talking about? You know, and it's no easy feat. You know, it's not like I wake up and it's super easy every day. Don't get me wrong. It's tough. You know, I'm pulling 19 hour days currently, you know, with the writing and recording of the album and, you know, talking to wonderful people like yourself and vocal coaching. Like it's, it's not, it's, it's not a breeze in the park. You know, I don't want your listeners to think, Oh, she's just wafting around singing and, you know, having a nice chat with Lee and that's kind of her day. It, no, I mean, I'm up at five every day. In the title song of your EP, Unveiled, there's a line in the chorus where you say, when your heart is broken, the world is unveiled. Mm -hmm. So what do you want people to see in that unveiled world that maybe they're not seeing today? I think it's universally speak, speaking that when your heart is broken and it can be literal, you know, when you go through a relationship and you, and you break, you can either sweep it under the carpet and force yourself to move on or you can really share, I'm really going through something, you know, and find resources, friends, family that you can really share and be authentic and then not to play victim but that you can then begin to heal but we can't find this strength and this warrior type mentality um this gusto for life and this zest for life whether it's a dinner we're cooking for our kids or whether it's a conversation you're having with your loved one or your career, you know, any extreme. We, we It won't build unless we're authentic. So it's crucial, in my humble opinion, for us all to really get invested in who we're connecting with and how we're connecting. So for us to understand on a societal level, you know, friends and family and community and obviously further afield, what have those people gone through in their life? Do you really know them? Do you really have a sensibility that this is not just a guy on a mic doing some, you know, little, you know, nice show just because he felt like it, you know, really get to the depths of, wow, what was that like to be diagnosed and then reach a moment of joy and get married and then be re-diagnosed, you know, and to have that empathy that that's like family, you know, imagine that we were family. And so I try to really unveil myself, whether it's a conversation like this or whether I'm on the stage singing songs, you know, because I, I think the gift is one thing, but my mission now is to inspire others that, God forbid, they have to get to that point in life when they get diagnosed with cancer because they've just been riddled with fear or bad eating or whatever it is the way they've been living, right? You know, how do you want to approach your life to share your heart, to really 
be okay with the fact that it's okay to have had a broken heart and to unveil yourself, your true self, to be able to heal. I love it. The album is called Unveiled. You can find it on Spotify. Uh, do yourself a favor, folks, and check it out. Summer's voice is truly a gift to all of us, and it'll touch your heart like it did mine. Summer, thank you so very much for sharing your story, for spending time with me uh, this evening. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I want to wish you, uh, first and foremost, continued good health and much success. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Lee, thank you so much. And I would love to share to any of your listeners, should they have any questions about health and wellness or music or singing, please feel free to DM me on Summer Watson Official on Instagram. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. So I'm excited to bring Joe Bullock back on the We Have Cancer Show podcast. Joe was on not too long ago. It was episode 159. So if you missed our first conversation and Joe's story about his experience with colon cancer, you can check that out at wehavecancershow.com forward slash 159. But Joe has once again, as he always does, found a way to give back and help others. And this time we're talking about young people who are affected by colorectal cancer. So Joe, tell us what's going on. So recently I just completed, Colentown has a, a program called the Empowered Patient Leadership Program. And back in October, I'd been a part of Colentown for a couple of years since being diagnosed. So I, I took the program and at the end of the program in late October, they asked, what, what is something you would want to do within Colentown? What, what is there a program you would like to see developed? And because of my early work with Jaden Oaks, who is living with stage four colorectal cancer, and since then, over the past year, I've gotten connected with several families who are battling colorectal cancer in the, in the pediatric movement. So decided that that would be where I'd want to do my work in Colentown as a survivor. And so working with a, another survivor, uh, Jason Randall, and Lindsay Emma, who is the quote, quote, mayor of Colentown, we put together Colentown Junior, which will focus on pediatric colorectal cancer. Because we have a, a very loving colorectal cancer community, and many foundations have helped these families. Um, CCA has done some work with them. Fight CRC has done some work with them. Colentown has done some work with them. But the families had, had let me know that they didn't have like a central place, a, a space that they could come together, connect, and also get resources. So that's the goal with Colentown Jr. is to give these families a space because it, it is known that 100 children will be diagnosed with colorectal cancer this year. So we obviously see this is a very much a need in the cancer community. So we're hoping to bring to spread awareness, to bring support. Colentown has already, through Paltown, has already been able to help these families make connections in the colorectal cancer community that they didn't realize was available. We have actually been able to work with other national cancer institutes to actually get them support and help and to actually look at their diagnosis again, look at their plan of treatment again, and to get them help that they didn't know was available to them in within the pediatric treatment. Because as we know, how you treat a child with cancer and how you treat an adult with cancer is very different. 
there's some similarities. And that's what we're hoping to, to support these families to get their needs met as a pediatric patient and the colorectal cancer movement is our goal to give them that support. Well, that's fantastic, Joe. And you know, what perfect timing, because as our listeners know, the We Have Cancer Show has started a partner with Campaign One at a Time. Yes. And this month's child, Jalen, is mm. dealing with stage four colon cancer. Yes. So, yes. so, and later on in this episode, the listeners will uh, hear uh, Brody Nicholas, CEO of Campaign One at a Time, talk about Jalen and his story mm. and how people, if they're so inclined and want to donate to make Jalen's wish come true, they yes. can do so at wehavecancershow.com yes. forward slash Jalen, J-A-Y-L-A-N. And Jalen is a part of Colentown Jr. And I um, and I know his mother, Nikki, and, and he's just a delightful kid, full of energy, loves basketball. I mean, he's just, he's a great kid. He's a great kid. So I'm glad he's having the opportunity. And we know one at a time has also benefited Jaden Oaks early in the year. So that's such a great organization what Brody's doing. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Where can people, Joe, find Colin Town Jr.? Where do they If go? they go to colintown.org and if they fill out the information for Colin Town and when they put the age of the patient as either the patient or the caregiver, if it's under 21, they will automatically put them in Colin Town Jr., because that's they're being followed by a pediatric oncologist, it will actually put them in that group automatically. And this is a Facebook group, correct? This is a Facebook group, exactly, exactly. It's it's much like you know, Colon Town is not a real town; it's sort of a fake town, and they have different groups, like for stage one, stage two, stage three, liver group, and that's what we're hoping to do with Colon Town Junior is to create a liver group that is pediatric focused, to create a a stage one or two or three or four group that is pediatric focused and we're hoping to get more research so that they so that clinical trials are made available for these pediatric patients that aren't available currently so and our goal so we would have um, eventually we will have a trials group that will direct them to those those places to, to get that kind of support definitely that's fantastic you know it's all the tentacles related to cancer and pediatric cancer that we don't think about gee, a clinical trial would need to look totally different for someone who's 11 years old than an adult. Right, for a pediatric. Which is, sure. Right, and that and that was the kind of issue with a lot of the families. They would go into the adult groups, and everybody would start talking about clinical trials, clinical trials, but they don't realize that really a patient under 18, there are, there are no clinical trials available. Their bodies can't handle the treatments. So it's mm-hmm. it's getting these trials done for this age group to figure those things out what is available to them. Well, Joe, you're amazing. You know, a week doesn't go by that we don't see something that you do to put other people at the forefront, whether it's starting a a card campaign to send people, you know, young people well wishes or whatever it might be. And you, you know, working so closely with so many of these families, as someone dealing with stage four colon cancer myself and a pediatric cancer survivor, this really touches my heart the amazing work that you do and and just know that it doesn't go unnoticed and it's appreciated. Thank you, Lee. It, it really does give purpose to my survivorship and it's, it's a joy to do. It's a joy to do. Great. Well, be well, my friend. Thank you, Lee. 
Hard to believe that March is right around the corner. Starting Monday, March is a big darn deal, especially for me, because it is Colon Cancer Awareness Month. And this March in particular is very special to me because on March 21st, it will be the 10-year anniversary since I first heard the words, you have colon cancer. So the Colon Cancer Coalition has some exciting and wonderful events taking place virtually, as well as at several locations across the country. There's a ski event coming up on March 6th at Beach Mountain, North Carolina. There's a Get Your Rear in Gear uh, Run Walk event taking place in Charlotte on the 21st of March. But if you go on the Colon Cancer Coalition's website at donate.coloncancercoalition.org, you can find information on all of the events, including how you can virtually participate in one of the Get Your Rear and Gear Run Walk events and information on that is, is on the website. Kickoff is March 1st next week. And do check it out and support those of us like myself who've been battling colorectal cancer. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter.